guy that hosts the show the alex cast this episode of the alex cast is brought to you by the standard facebook.com slash the standard pdx you may be thinking to yourself but hey alex isn't every show brought to you by the standard well you don't have to fucking question everything you dick you know sometimes you can just have nice things happen you can just go oh i'm gonna listen to my favorite podcast and then when you're done listening to that i'm gonna put on the alex cast because i'm out of other shit to listen to and i'm gonna give him crap because he wants to talk about the lovely values and 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 great people that hang out at the standard 14 northeast 22nd northeast portland you don't have to give me shit for that dude i'm here to give you a message a message of inexpensive booze and fun conversation in fact the other night i talked to a girl like me in real life talk to a girl how awesome is that doesn't happen often i mean she's a you know my girlfriend of a, of a friend of mine but still you know <clears throat> positive directions and all that's all that was made possible by the standard facebook.com slash the standard pdx go if you're in portland if you're not in portland fucking make a pilgrimage send me send me an email alexcast to gmail.com hey alex i'm going to portland meet me at the standard and i'll say you know what, sir or madam, I will meet you there because it is a place of joy and a refuge from the swirling vortex storms of horrible that is the outside world. The Standard. Facebook.com slash The Standard PDX 14 Northeast 22nd. And that, my friends, is a standard commercial. Not like a standard commercial, like a commercial for the standard, I suppose we should say. So, see Alex asked. Welcome to Wormhole. Uh, this is episode something, 267-ish, I think. It's going to be a bit different this time. Uh, as I was saying, I'm going to change things up. So I'm going to talk a little bit, uh, as I want to do, normal Alexcast style Then I'm going to play the first of two parts of a short story that I wrote called The uh, Theravada Machine. Um, I was going to do it all in one session, uh, one... one um, file to read you the whole short story but it turns out okay there's a number of things it turns out let's talk about it in order but one is length the so the first half of the story is uh i don't even know oh, i'm using the same file but it was 20 something minutes long and i was getting quite tired of reading out loud so there's one there's one part but also i thought you know do you really want to listen to me for you know read a short story for that long it just felt kind of weird because i do want to keep this as a you know podcast format not a hey let's download uh audiobooks format you know though if you want a free audiobook go to alexcast.com click the audible link <laughs> sorry so anyway uh, that and um i'm i'm really really rusty on reading aloud so um it's this is going to sound like I'm the world's biggest idiot, but my, my pronunciation's a little off and my pacing's weird. And, uh, I mean, it's, I, I don't think it's, I think you guys listening won't think it's as bad as all that, I suppose. I don't know. But, um, 
boy, is it rough to, to do that. And, and, and that may sound like I'm an idiot, but try doing it. Try reading aloud for, for 20 minutes straight. It's, it's rough. Um, it also reminds me that, uh, when, when editing, I should read aloud cause you do catch things, um, that you wouldn't catch or that, you know, I don't catch during, you know, kind of just eyeball editing. So yeah, anyway, so you're going to hear the first 20 at the end of this episode, um, which is going to be a short one. Cause uh, as I said, I think the, I think the solo shows are going to be about 20 minutes, uh, pardon me, are going to be about 30 minutes. So I already have a 20 minute file. So I'm probably going to talk more than 10 minutes. I, I don't know. Don't, don't, don't question things, man. This is free form. This is like jazz. This is like the radio version of jazz, except for, you know, all those jazz radio stations. That's actually the radio version of jazz. Uh, yeah. So anyway, I'm recording this. It is uh, the 23rd of October. I'm going to stop saying uh and um. This is my New Year's resolution that's happening on the 23rd of October. Again, getting the rust off, trying to get used to doing solo shows again. Um, these are all muscles that can be exercised. There's going to be a lot more pauses in these shows because I got to try to stop saying um and ah. What do we have to talk about tonight with you, my dearest people? You may have seen on what I like to refer to as the internet a picture of Miss American Vampire. It was a, a picture that was going around a couple weeks ago. I don't know why it happened. I ended up looking it up, so I found the article for it. So I'm going to read the article to you because it's kind of short and I'll probably give up. Miss American Vampire Pageant, 1970. This comes from, oof, geez, that's a tough thing to say. Uh, blog.tenebrousskate, so skate at the end, tenebrous, 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 so tenebrousskate.com. So, introductory thing, talking about vampires. In digging through some of my magazines last night, I stumbled on these pictures from the Miss American Vampire Pageant, a perfect example of proto-Gothic rockery that makes my black little heart sing with joy. These photos are from the vampire issue of European Art Comics Sexiness Mag, Glamour International, in which they're incorrectly captioned as originating from a Vampirella-themed beauty pageant, which would have a lot more cleavage than, than just the vampire one, because Vampirella was rather buxom word of the day buxom buck some buxom the miss american vampire contest was part of the promotional blitz for house of dark shadows and as you can see from the photo above mr barnabas collins himself jonathan frid is crowning the regional winner of the crown from palisades park new jersey this groovy ghoulette in question in the amazing crown is christine dominicki of Belleville, New Jersey. The winners were whisked away for the final competition, which took place on Regis Philbin's daytime TV show. I am just loving the Dark Shadows tie-in I used to... to oh, that was my fault. She wrote this, or he, he or she. I'm assuming that she wrote this correctly. I'm just an idiot. I'm just loving the Dark Shadows tie-in I used to feast on repeats of that cheesily awesome gothic soap opera during my lunch breaks in art school. Okay, no, that's just a run-on sentence, the problem. No, she used a hyphen, but there's a, a tie-in is also hyphenated. There's a, so, so that's what messed me up. I swear, it's not entirely my fault. 
Disregard. Uh, swear to goodness, once you get in the zone of watching that show, it's an incredibly difficult habit to kick. National winner Sashin Littlefeather is a colorful character, a model, and American Indian activist, probably best known for appearance during the 1972 Oscars, during which he accepted the award for Best Actor on behalf of Marlon Brando for his role in The Godfather. And before you guys can get all, wow, they totally should have held more pageants like this one on me, I'll advise you that I've been to two gothic beauty pageants, and while they are indeed a rich source of... Schadendusche? Ugh. The anthropological glee fades quickly, and if one is out to see tattooed chicks in lingerie, one's time would be more rewardingly spent at a Bourbon Street strip club. Um, okay, well, so, yeah, that's the story of the vampire uh, contest. Uh, that was, yeah, that wasn't very well written. And then I was having trouble reading because I'm, I'm bad at reading aloud. You have to see these pictures. So go to, I'll, I'll put the link in, in, on, in the, on the webpage. So click on the, the, the description for episode 267. Is that where we decided this was? Yeah. And then you can, you can see more pictures and whatnot. Uh, they're foxy. It's, Something, basically, it's 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 everything I loved in high school all rolled into one. Because as you all know, uh, very much a kind of goth kid and loved pageants. Oh, to get back up there, my flowing chiffon numbers and big heel shoes. <laughs> just just trod the old boards of pageantry. Ah, oh, it's good times. Obviously, I don't know enough about pageants to even use any of the words involved so check it out it's probably the coolest thing i've ever seen in my life the vampire pageant of 1970 here uh my uh, opening the old podcast folder on google notes whatever it's called google keep sometimes i wake up late at night and I'm pretty sure I'm the only person that's ever done this. Wake up late at night, you know, everybody else just sleeps through. So I woke up and, and I'll make notes to myself. And there, there's a there's a Seinfeld episode about this of, of trying to decipher the joke you wrote while you're asleep. At least I think it's a Seinfeld episode. Anyway, I found this in my in my in my notes, and and I'm not entirely sure what I was going for, but unfortunately, I I wish I remembered because man, this sounds interesting. But and I'm reading directly here, past life coming through. After a ton of research, etc., it turns out that all those channeled foreign stuff was just silly anime songs. I don't, I don't, like, I wish I knew what that meant, because it sounds like the best idea ever. So past life coming through, after a ton of research, etc., it turns out that all those channeled foreign stuff was just silly anime songs. I I don't, I don't understand the, is it, I don't really understand the concept that I was going for. I guess, why would it be past life? I guess channeling would be, I could see the channeling would be amusing that, you know, it's, it's some Victorian lady starts the, you know, channeling the, the yata yata or something, but yeah. All right. So I've got the uh, vampire thing on my Google keep notes. I also have an article from Mental Floss of uh, scientists creating ghosts in a lab. I might, I might read that to you since it is Spooktober. 
Ooh, welcome to scariness. Ha <laughs> See, look, I'm I'm in the Halloween spirit. Welcome to the Alex cast. Oh, I should play that on the show at some point. Um, ex-producer Michael uh, made a uh, was listening to an old episode where I requested somebody make me the sound clip from the old uh, Monster Bash pinball machine, which I quite like. Um, that that they've got the Dracula going. Welcome to the Monster Bash, and I and I wanted somebody to make that, but with Welcome to the Alex cast, and uh, producer Michael did it. Uh, oh, here it is. We'll play it for you. I don't know if it ever was played on the show. Bloody. No, 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 not the head, in the mouth, in the mouth. This part makes sense, I think. It's still making sense, I think. I should make sure. Welcome to the Alexcast. That's right. Welcome to the Alexcast. That's available on uh, Facebook.com slash Alexcast. That video. Um because you can see some of the sweet effects from the uh, Monster Bash pinball machine. I'm all over the place with this episode. Sorry. Um, why was I talking about that? Oh, because spooky ghosts, ghost created in lab. Everything's coming up Millhouse. Um, elsewhere on my list, uh, man, for, for a show that I said I wasn't going to say ah a lot, boy, just drop that ball. How would you start a podcast for aliens? Uh, probably something along the lines of like, you know, some kind of alien language. That's, you know, but that's probably not the spirit of the question. How would I start a podcast for aliens? And probably like, hey guys, it's me, Alf. You know, like my show, but mixed with Alf. If you're, if you're like 50 something years old, I assure you, my, my references are hilarious. Uh, creepy clown epidemic, sign of the times, sign of the end times, or peak human stupidity. Uh, neither, uh, I think the creepy down, clown epidemic is a natural, uh, evolution from the insane clown posse fandom. No, I don't know. The whole creepy clown thing has been around forever. People say that, uh, Stephen King or whatever, that's a modern interpretation. But no, clowns have been creepy for, for fucking forever. Like Grimaldi was, you know, supposed to be hilarious, but he was, you know, this depressed creep that I think ends up killing himself. But there's 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 references from like Roman era of, of how people find clowns creepy. They're, they've got, they, they paint their skin corpse white and then smile a rictus grin. I mean, it's not, this is not a pleasant thing. So don't fucking go around telling me that, that clowns were only creepy after Stephen King's it. Because... There's like seven people that are listening right now that are following what I'm talking about. But there was there was articles going around on the internet for a while saying that like the creepy clown thing is a modern invention. And, and I and I say no to that. Good, sir. Speaking of what I'm not talking about, uh, I also says Adventure Time Sadness and then a whole thing about H.P. Lovecraft, which I won't get into. Well, I mean, I'll get into it eventually. Maybe I'll do that next week's show because that'll be the Halloween episode. Uh... We'll talk about Adventure Time Sadness some other time, too, because that would be a bit of a long session. Scientists create ghosts in a lab! Because that's the scary voice. Have you ever experienced the creepy sensation that you're not the only person in the room? <clears throat> no, I, I haven't. 
you get a chill. Maybe the hair on the back of your neck stands up. And for a second, you think maybe you do believe in ghosts. Or, pardon me, maybe you do believe in ghosts. This sensation is commonly reported in people with certain neurological or psychiatric disorders, or those exposed to extreme conditions. In 1970s, mountaineer Reinhold Messner reported seeing a phantom climber descending the slopes of a particularly extreme summit alongside him. This also happens in people who have recently experienced another uh, extreme condition, the loss of a spouse. In most cases, the sufferer reports the very sensation of the unseen presence. This is through... Uh, this is the stuff of which ghost stories are made. But researchers say they know why this feeling occurs. They've even recreated it in the lab. Olaf Blanca, a researcher from the Swiss Federal Institute of Technology in Lausanne, Switzerland, EPFL, first had to find the scientific culprit for these strange sensations. He and his team analyzed brain scans of patients suffering from neurological disorders who experienced the ghostly feeling. They found abnormalities in the areas controlling how the brain sees the body or one's own spatial self-awareness. These abnormalities can sometimes create a second presentation of one's own body, which is no longer perceived as me, but as someone else. A presence, says uh, Giulio Rocconini, who led the study. Armed with an understanding of the feeling being haunted, uh, research set out to recreate it in healthy people, in quotes. A group of subjects oblivious to the experiment's purpose were blindfolded, their fingers connected to a robotic device. When the subjects moved the device, a robotic arm behind them mimicked the movement, poking them in the back. It sounds pretty straightforward, but when research introduced a slight delay between the subject's movement and the resulting poke, the subjects were spooked. They felt they were being touched by another presence. Some even reported sensing more than one, in quote, ghost. Sorry, in quote, phantasm. Actually, some subjects reacted very strongly, and they reported not only that they felt somebody else was touching them, but that somebody else was also present, Blank says. For those people, the sensation was so strong, they didn't want to finish the experiment. This conversion sensation is caused by altered perception of their own bodies in the brain, Blanca says. But the next time you feel like you're being watched, remember, it might just be your, your brain playing tricks on your perception. Uh, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, so, yeah, so they... Uh, Basically, they hooked the guy up to a robot hand. You can move the robot hand. Um, what You move the robot hand to touch you, like tap you on the back. You're like, hey, I moved that robot hand to tap me on the back. If they put a delay between you sending the signal to, hey, robot hand, tap me on the back, and the robot hand actually listening to you and tapping you on the back, if there's a delay between those two things, uh, you your brain kind of freaks out and starts at, uh, registering it as being somebody else in the room, and you get these ghostly sensations. Um. I find that interesting. I don't really have anything to say about that other than I'm I'm glad to know it. And I'm just introducing it to you guys. I don't fucking know. Why do you have to explain more than that? I've read the article to you. Let's let's see what the video has to say. This is scientists awakening ghosts hidden in a cortex. In 1970, alpinist Reinhold Messner is about to have what he considers to be a supernatural experience. While descending the slopes of Nanga Parbat, he suddenly feels the presence of an invisible climber behind him and to his right. This phantom presence phenomenon has been reported many times by people who have experienced extreme conditions, as well as patients suffering from schizophrenia. EPFL scientists have now managed to recreate this ghost in the lab. Their device can induce this type of hallucination in healthy subjects. We designed a master-slave robotic system where touch cues from the hand are fed right, back to the subject, explain. to a particular body yeah. part, the back. Okay, so that they, 
well, maybe you should listen a little bit more, but so far they haven't said anything new. Hold on, well, let's listen some more. In our case, by the slave robot, we observed that all of our subjects as a group experienced to be in the presence of another person, of another human person, and to be touched by that person. So this time it really felt like um, I, was, I was playing with somebody, something. So it wasn't myself that was poking me in the back, but it was as if I was playing with an animal, a monkey that was poking me in the back or something like that. It's actually about 100 years ago that the symptom was described first by Carl Jaspers in a range of patients suffering from uh, schizophrenia. And one very prominent model of schizophrenia today assumes that certain signals, how your brain predicts what is going to happen, if that, that those signals, let's say moving my arm over to the table and predicting that I should receive a touch cue at my fingertips at the moment I arrive at the table, that those signals are incorrectly integrated in schizophrenia. So what the data show are really two main findings. One is they inform us about how self-consciousness relates to bodily signals. Those signals from my- Okay, I gotta pause here. One, because this is going on too long. But when you watch this video, and I hope you do, I'm gonna put the link uh, on, on, the, on my website. Uh, it's from Mental Floss. But this guy talking here uh, has a picture in the background of three people, it looks like a family, and they're all wearing like kind of, from, from this angle, looks to me as if they're wearing demonic rabbit heads. And I wonder why that's there. I feel like when you were recording a video to go out on the internet, you should probably do it in front of a wall that doesn't have a picture of a family with demonic rabbit heads. Well, let's just finish up the video. It's almost done. My body, I'm moving, I'm feeling, I'm seeing my hands. How are these integrated to form the self? The second finding is, is about the phenomenon itself, the feeling of a presence. It has been described in many extreme circumstances far away from the research laboratories. So this is the first time we're able to induce it experimentally using a custom-designed robot. Well, I, I thank you very much, Olaf Blanca, who I don't know if that was that guy. But anyway, yeah, check out uh, the weird picture behind that guy because he's a fucking creep and i'm pretty sure he's murdered at least seven people i mean listen the way he speaks english that don't sound american <laughs> sorry i'm sorry for everything that's happened during this show i'm not this wasn't you know here's here's fuck it i was gonna ask for feedback but i i, I guess i know what the feedback's gonna be so it doesn't matter if you feel like talking to me at Al, uh, at the alex cast on twitter or you can email alexcast at gmail.com that's a uh that'd be a a lovely thing to have happen if you want to communicate. Also, I said this uh, jokingly on Twitter, but uh, I'm I'm half serious. There's this there's this. Uh, oh, I've brought it up on the show before, but it seemed like nobody was interested, and the only people that responded actually said actively they don't they they find it annoying. Is that a lot of shows are moving towards uh, Patreon, which is where you pay like a monthly fee and you get extra content via the the podcast. It seems like every podcast has an ad for theirs, uh, and it becomes rather um, cluttered. It's kind of like the for a while the Adam and Eve ads or or Amazon or whatever. Which, by the way, click on the Amazon link on alexcast.com before you buy anything on Amazon. But <laughs> you get the idea. Uh, so I decided to not do a Patreon. So if if you are the type of person that would have subscribed to an Alexcast Patreon because you like the show and you want to help, uh, you can just give me money via uh, uh, PayPal. It's uh, alexcast.gmail.com. Um, not, not give me, you know, donate is, is the phrase. And if if you're of the Patreon model, you're like, but I, I like Patreon because I get extra stuff. 
Hey, you can ask me for something. I'll give it to you. Like, if you want, like, a signed book or something, I'll hook you up. You know, it's, pre it's pretty laid back around here at the Alex Gas headquarters. And on that note, it's the Alex Gas headquarters. Welcome to Wormhole. That's, oh, God, this episode's, well, I mean, this episode's not that long. This episode's long for me deciding that it's only a 20-minute thing. So I'm going to throw it out. Throw it out. I'm going to throw it over to Alex from about an hour ago reading the first half of the Theravada machine. If anybody out there knows how to pronounce that word better, please, please tell me. Uh, it's not like it really matters, but yeah. So listen to that. I hope you enjoy it. If you don't, you know, don't tell me. Um, I, I realize I fucked up some of the pronunciation and, and there's some weird stuff in there, but what are you going to do? When I say pronunciation, I mean more like uh, elocution, I guess would be the better way to put it. Uh, I, I fat-tongued a bunch of it. And uh, I'm sorry for it. Stop saying, oh, you fucker. Jesus. Christ on a pony stick. Christ on a pony stick. Because that's those are words that people say in a row. <laughs> I'm a fucking maniac. So anyway, yeah. Uh, this has been the Alex cast, or at least part of it. Uh, uh, now there's going to be the Theravada machine. And yes, I will see you next week on this show i don't know what i'm doing this is weird because as as we discuss every week i don't know how to end the show and this is me ending the show before the end of the show because now you're going to hear like a 20 minute uh short story so that's weird who knows how this works anyway yeah enjoy bye the theravada machine it was on a tuesday morning when i first woke to the sounds of electricity the air smelled of smoke. A pulsing blue light seeped in from under the door. I dressed myself, for I slept in a pair of boxer shorts and nothing else. Once sufficiently clothed as to avoid embarrassment, I left the room. My bedroom opened up to the living area of the apartment. It was lit with that same blue light, though stronger, steadier. Wisps of delicate smoke wafted in from the kitchen. I entered the bathroom and switched on the horribly bright light. The bathroom smelled of burning plastic as I splashed water on my face. I brushed my teeth and hair. I felt much better. I left the bathroom feeling refreshed. The living room was still blue. The trails of smoke still carried on their subtle currents. I walked through the living room, leaving a misty blue wake in the smoke. The kitchen window let in too much sun. My eyes always hurt in the morning. I walked around the three men and opened the fridge. I felt very silly when I realized that I had orange juice. Why did I feel the need to brush my teeth? Damn my memory. I filled the glass from the filtered carafe instead. I sat at the kitchen table and sipped heavily from the crisp, cold water. Ah, I said to myself, cold water in the morning is nearly as good as orange juice. I finished the first glass so quickly that I stood to get another. The fridge door hit the back of one of the men sitting on my kitchen floor. I apologized and sat back down to drink another glass of crisp, delicious, filtered water. There were three men on my kitchen floor. They sat cross-legged on a blue blanket made of a strange, unfamiliar material. Between them was an expanse of wires, circuit boards, soldering irons, and two wooden boxes full to brimming with technological ephemera. The men wore gray mechanics overalls. They seemed content in their work. I thought to ask them what they were doing, but I felt rude interrupting. I left the apartment to drive to work in my sputtering car. It left a cloud of blue, oil-rich smoke in its wake. I wondered if I could fix it. I wondered if the men in my kitchen could fix it. My work was done in a nondescript office situated in the center of a complex of other similar offices. It was a good job. They paid me on the 1st and the 15th of every month. 
The money they paid me with was enough to keep my lovely apartment and functional car. The work I did was very detail-oriented and important. It was important, but hard to describe to someone outside of the company. I filled out many forms. I counted many boxes of things. I made sure the people in the next row took lunch breaks and arrived on time. I was, at the time, middle management. That, at the time, meant that I could become upper management eventually. My boss was upper management. I liked my boss. He sometimes got us breakfast pastries on Fridays when the spirit was upon him. Once, during a particularly festive winter party, he provided us with alcoholic drinks and gave us envelopes full of extra pay. It was a good place to work. The only part I didn't enjoy was wearing a tie. I've always felt slightly strangled by ties. The thought of ties make me itch. But clothes make the man, my very nice boss said. I agree with my boss often, though I was unsure about his belief in the wearing of ties. I went straight to my girlfriend's apartment after work. She was hosting a gathering of family members, and I was to be displayed for them. The night went well. The mood was convivial. Her family seemed to like me. I thought her mother was especially charming. She smiled in exactly the same way as my girlfriend. It was easy. It was a numberless Tuesday night. I was spending the evening with my girlfriend. She was a wonderful girlfriend. We went out every Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday night. Sometimes we went out on other nights as well, but those weren't set in stone. We liked seeing each other at least three times a week. We left the restaurant and, after a short conversation, decided to go to my apartment. Her apartment was also very nice, but we liked to switch back and forth to avoid overusing one or the other. It was her idea. It was a great idea. Her car was better than mine, so she drove us there. We walked the short distance from the parking lot to the stairs leading to my apartment. My apartment sat over a defunct cafe. The cafe had been shut down for over a year. The tables, chairs, and coffee equipment sat exactly where they were the day the doors were locked for the last time. I looked at the window every time I went home to watch the dust accumulate. The steps leading to my apartment were made of wood and had begun to sag. I didn't know who the landlord was anymore, so I fixed them as they sank too far. The landlord also ran the cafe, back when it was still a cafe. When he shut it down, he also stopped cashing my rent checks. It was six months before I stopped writing them. I kept every penny I owed him, though, in case I was discovered and the money demanded. I am no apartment thief. I was, however, not so keen to find out who I was beholden to. I really liked my apartment and was afraid to lose it. We entered my apartment on that Thursday night after navigating the sagging steps. The blue smoke was heavier than it was in the morning. The three men on my floor worked diligently. I took a bottle of wine and two glasses from the cupboard. We sat in the living room and I poured us some wine. It was red. She always picked out the bottles for us. I don't know much about wine. There are three men in your kitchen, she said. Oh, yes. I don't think they drink, but I can offer them another bottle if you're uncomfortable drinking alone, I said. No, that's okay. What are they doing in your kitchen? They're constructing some sort of electronic device. They've been at it since Tuesday morning at the least. Oh, she said. I don't know how long it will take. It seems pretty complicated. Yes, it does seem pr like pretty intricate work. Who are they? She said. I'm not so sure. They have uniforms on. I assume they're professionals, I explained. You haven't asked them? No, but they seem too busy. True. Want to watch a movie or play some cards before bed? I asked. I think a movie would be fine. Can we finish the one from Saturday? I liked it before we distracted each other, she said, giggling. We can try, I said, touching her hands with mine. A few weeks later, I woke up on an unremarkable Tuesday morning. My bedroom smelled heavily of ozone. I got out of bed and dressed in the pulsing blue light from under my door. 
After the bathroom rituals of morning, I went to the kitchen. I filled my glass from the carafe of filtered water. The air smelled metallic, with the faintest hint of burnt plastic. It was rather nice in its way. It smelled something like the air after a spring rain on asphalt. I tried to remember the word for the smell. I couldn't remember the word. I enjoyed the smell and drank my water. Three men were sitting on their blue blanket, fiddling at wires and plastic pieces. I thought they had rotated one seat over at some point recently. It was hard to tell because they all wore gray overalls and had very similar faces. I thought the thing which they were building, having no idea what it was actually meant to look like, looked great, so I told them so. That looks great, I said. The three men sitting on my kitchen floor looked up at me in my kitchen chair. Their faces showed no emotion, but I felt that I had broken our implied agreement that we would remain quiet to one another. Sorry, I mumbled. They turned in unison back to their work. I felt bad that I had interrupted. My drive to work was quite guilt-ridden. The rest of the day at work was rough. I kept thinking about how I ruined their morning. I wondered if I should get them a gift to make up for it. A fresh bundle of wires or some electrical tape. My co-workers failed to notice my distraction. I was very efficient at my work. I would not be put off by a little distracted thinking. On my way home, I stopped by a store that sold electronics. The clerk was very friendly. He recommended that I buy a box set of tools and wires. I thought it was a perfect gift for an apology. I drove home from the store wondering if I should wrap the gift. As I looked through the window into the dusty cafe, I decided to keep it unwrapped. Casual. I opened the door to my apartment and smelled the burning rubber ozone of my kitchen. The three men on my kitchen floor were still working, undaunted by my arrival or earlier interruption. I opened the bottle of beer with the handle of the kitchen drawer and sat down. I opened the box set of wires and tools and carefully placed them between man number one and man number three. Man number two was considering a small spot on the device very carefully. He looked up, thinking. He caught my eyeline, and I swear that he raised his lips in the slightest hint of a smile. I took that as a sign that I had done well. Our fractured relationship was healed. I drank my beer and watched them build. The windows grew dark. The blue light of their work kept their tools visible. I wondered if I should turn on a light. I dared not risk asking them. I opened another beer and moved to the couch. I watched a movie and sipped idly at the slowly warming bottle. It was a comfortable night in my home. Just me, some beers, and the three men in my kitchen quietly building their machine. Some weeks later, my girlfriend and I were sitting on the couch, fighting each other's fingers. It was a nice, cool evening. The windows were open and the burning rubber smell was barely noticeable. How are they doing? she asked. Who? The men in the kitchen. Oh, about the same, I think. It's hard to tell. The machine makes a nice humming noise now. That's good. I wonder what it does. Have they ever said anything? She asked quietly, so as to not distract the three men on my kitchen floor. No, they haven't said a word. One did smile at me once, I think. Oh? Yes, I gave them an apology gift. He noticed and smirked. That's nice. What did you have to apologize for? I interrupted them that morning. I said, it was looking good, or something like that. They looked very angry at being interrupted. So I picked up a nice kit of wires and clippers and such from the electronics store in town. What a thoughtful gift. They seem happy, she said with a smile on her lips. They do seem happy. Shall we go to bed now? I asked. That would make me very happy, she said. I brushed a hair from her forehead, then led her by the hand to my bedroom. It was lovely and cool inside. The blue light seeping from under the door lit our love and eventual sleep. It was a lovely evening. The morning was bright. I had left the curtain open enough to shock early eyes. My girlfriend was not in bed. I was saddened by this. 
One of the things I enjoyed in life was the look of her face full of pillow lines. I walked to the bathroom. Everything smelled of burning rubber, with a hint of something new. It was a familiar smell that I couldn't place. The bathroom was uneventful, except for some blood in my toothpaste spit. I wondered about that. I took care of my teeth and gums. The kitchen hummed. The machine was causing the floor to vibrate. It was pleasant on my bare feet. I filled the glass from my filtered carafe and sat down. The three men and one woman in the corners of a blue blanket. The woman, my girlfriend, had a tube running from her arm into the machine. She seemed to be okay with this. I was concerned, though. What are you doing down there? I asked. The three men and one woman looked at me in unison. The men seemed irritated. I was just trying to talk to her, I said to the three men. Sorry to interrupt. The three men looked back at the machine. I wanted some water. They signaled me to sit down. I felt rude refusing. The floor tickles. She smiled broadly at me. Oh, well, that's okay then. Do you know what it is? I don't, but it seems to need some blood to work. They haven't taken much at all. That's also good. I'd hate for you to lose too much blood. I like you. That's very nice to hear. I like you too. We should have dinner tonight, she said. That sounds nice. Do you think you'll be much longer with them? I asked, gesturing with my head to the three men on my kitchen floor. I'm not sure, but I get the impression that we're not going to be long at all. How about you call me on your lunch break? We can make plans. She was smiling and happy. Her tube had a very small, very slow stream of blood moving within it. Sure, that's great. Well, I'm going to get ready, I said. I got prepared for work. I kissed her cheek before I left, making sure not to dis disrupt the other three on the blanket. Work was very busy and seemed to move quickly. I called my girlfriend at lunch and made plans to meet her at my apartment later. It felt like a long time from lunch to leaving. I was excited to have dinner with her. I thought about places to eat as I finished my work. The apartment was glowing a bright, radiant blue as I entered. The floor felt like a joy buzzer. The machine was blurry from its oscillation. The three men and one woman sat on their corners. I opened the refrigerator and got a beer. I opened the beer and sat down at the kitchen table. My girlfriend smiled at me. The three men stayed immobile. Hi, she said excitedly. I'm starved. Shall we get ready to go to dinner? I'd like that. I'm going to change clothes. Would you care to join me? That sounds fun. Aren't you glad that you gave me a drawer of my own? I am glad. Should you unplug now? Oh, yes, I forgot about this, she said, raising her arm with the tube hanging from it. Gentlemen, I'm going to remove this tube. They turned their heads in unison to her. They looked very angry. She pulled the tube out of her arm. Man number two grabbed her hand. Hey, she said. I grabbed his arm and pulled. His arm broke off at the shoulder. The fingers on his arm lost strength. The detached arm dropped onto the blue blanket. Oh no, I yelled in an embarrassingly high voice. Sorry, I didn't mean to do that. Are you okay? My girlfriend asked the man with one arm. She sounded deeply concerned for him. The two men with two arms looked at the machine. The man with one arm looked impotently at his arm lying in his lap. I think that's normal, I said. They'd be concerned if it wasn't. How about we go to the bedroom and dress? Perfect idea. Pardon me, gentlemen on the blanket. I hope his lack of arm doesn't trouble you too much. They sat unperturbed. I went to my bedroom and stripped to nothing. We made love on my bed, which was vibrating from the machine in the kitchen. It was lovely. We dressed and went to the Mexican restaurant we both enjoyed. It was a nice dinner. Her arm showed no sign of distress. I didn't feel particularly bad about the man's arm. He must know that I wouldn't have done it if I knew the damage that it would have caused. We walked home to my apartment, arm in arm. It was a very nice night. It was almost three months to the day from the arrival of the men and their machine when I asked her to move into my apartment. 
I had realized that we spent a lot of time together, and it seemed silly to keep traveling to do so. We discussed whether we should ask the three men in the kitchen if they cared if she moved in. We decided that, since they didn't pay rent, not that I did, but the apartment was in my name, they shouldn't have a vote in who lived there. We had some trouble moving in the larger items, since the three men in the kitchen somewhat blocked entry to the living area, but, in the end, we managed. She and I shared an apartment, and it was perfect. She even commented that the subtle hum of a machine helped her make love. She was very brave with what she shared with me. Three men on the blue blanket kept at their work. The man with one arm worked slower, but with no less dull professionalism. By that point, the machine looked like a tiny city. Its antennas and spires rose out from the main body like skyscrapers above clouds. The blue light and the lovely hum rose in intensity as the days and weeks pressed on. The arm that was removed was wrapped around the base of the machine. It seemed to be melting into it, day by day. I wondered if I should offer them some of my blood. I thought that I should wait until they brought it up. The three men on the blue blanket on my kitchen floor didn't appear to like casual chat. The night my girlfriend moved in, we got too drunk. We stumbled into the kitchen for more drinks and fell on one of the three men on my kitchen floor. It was one of the men who still had two arms. The man crumbled into a pile of clothes and swirling dust. Me, my girlfriend and I, couldn't help but giggle. The machine was unharmed. We coughed up his dust and stumbled back to the couch. It was a good night. The morning after we got too drunk and broke one of the three men sitting on my kitchen floor was a difficult one. I awoke on the couch with my girlfriend curled up next to me. Her head was resting on my lap. She looked sweet lying there. I didn't want to wake her, but my neck felt like gravel. The room was spinning slightly. I needed to move. So I slipped out from under her, placing her head gently on a handy pillow. The room was not the same blue. It did not smell like burning rubber. I didn't notice the change until I'd brushed my teeth and thrown water on my face. My girlfriend was still asleep when I exited the bathroom. That's when I noticed that there was no blue light, no smell of burning rubber. I walked to my kitchen. Two men, one with only one arm, and a pile of clothes were sat on a blue blanket. The machine was humming. There was no blue light. The men stared at the machine, unmoving. I got my water from the filtered carafe and sat at the kitchen table. I thought that I would watch them for a little while before waking up my girlfriend. She looked very comfortable lying on the couch. The two men in their three arms looked at me. Their faces had grown sallow since they had arrived. They looked older. The machine looked great. You could barely see the arm at its base. They stared at me like I were a part of their machine. I smiled and nodded. I felt that would be safe since they weren't actually working at the moment. They did not respond. My neck felt horrible. I got some aspirin from the cabinet where we kept bottles of things like aspirin and multivitamins. I swallowed two white pills with some filtered water. It was cold and delicious. My girlfriend said, Good morning. She had woken up while I was getting aspirin. Would you like some aspirin or water? I asked. Some water would be lovely. I see that the blue light is off. Yes, I said as I got her a glass of water from the filtered carafe. I hope it wasn't because of us. Hmm, she said. Should we try and ask? It looks like they aren't working right now. Maybe they won't mind. I don't know, I said, looking intently at the man directly across from the table. His eyes looked like they were unfocused, blank. This isn't their normal behavior. What do you think? My girlfriend sat next to me. She placed her chin on her fist. She looked like she was really thinking about the situation. Hmm. Well, I think that we should ask them if they need help, she said, determined. They are down a man and an arm. It seems only polite to offer some help. That seems like a good idea. You know, you're pretty great, I said, grinning stupidly. You're pretty great, too, she said with her own even broader smile. Who should we ask? Did they talk when they asked for your blood? 
No, they were silent. They motioned for me to sit down when they got the implants out. It sort of seemed obvious what they wanted. Dang. They never spoke to me either. I guess I'll ask unless you want to. I don't mind either way, she said. Okay, well, I'll go ahead and ask. I was alone here when they arrived. I suppose it's my responsibility. The two men in one pile of clothes were sat in their normal spots. They made up an unmoving triangle of plain, uniformed people. Excuse me, men on my kitchen floor, I said. The two men with viable, non-dusted heads turned towards me and my girlfriend, impassive. We, well, we, my girlfriend and I, I said, motioning to her, wanted to know if work on the machine on the floor was stalled because of our drunken tumble last night. The two men and the pile kept staring at me and my girlfriend. They did not seem angry this time. Um, well, we feel somewhat bad about knocking into your friend, colleague, uh, other guy. We thought that maybe the machine, we call the thing you're building, the machine, that maybe you stopped working on it because of us. Is there anything we can do to make it up to you? I asked. The two men, who still had recognizable bodies, looked at each other. They made no sound, but it looked as if they were communicating. After a few seconds, they turned back to me and my girlfriend. Their eyes were once again a clear, intelligent blue. Welcome, they said in unison. Their voices were deep, strong. Their voices had the same resonance as the humming of the machine. Welcome, but unneeded. They shifted back to staring blankly at the machine. Their eyes were clouding. Great, my girlfriend exclaimed. I'm so glad that they're still okay. I feel a ton lighter. Me too, I said. They'll get back to it very soon, I'm sure. We sat in silence for a few minutes. The apartment was very quiet. The single light bulb in the kitchen cast everything a dirty yellow. I miss the hum, she said. Me too. I miss the blue light, I said. Me too, she said. End part one.